TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We just wrapped up a, a football season. Obviously, I, I cover Ohio State, so that's sort of intertwined with the Brown stuff for me. And obviously, the Buckeyes are really fun because they win most of the games they play, right? You mean the football team? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we will basketball, get, we will not get so much the, these We will days. get to the, unfortunately, unwatchable Ohio State basketball team a little bit later with Doug Lamarice from Cleveland.com at 520. But I love this time of year because... Football's done, and I am, first of all, everybody by now knows I'm a, I'm a golf psychopath, so I want to play, and I've already been playing uh, out of town, but the weather's about to start turning in town. You can start getting outside a little bit. I love college basketball tournament time. The Masters is not far away. The Players' Championship is before that. So you kind of get like the winter sports championships. The spring sports are starting, and it comes back to spring training is here. Baseball is back. The team's in camp. And, you know, quite frankly, when we went into this 12 months ago, there were a whole lot of people going, I don't know. I mean, maybe the Guardians could be good. Their starting rotation looks pretty good. But outside of that, like, they got all these young guys who've never played Major League Baseball before. I don't really know what to expect. And they took us on a really, really fun ride last summer that culminated with uh, an, an awfully fun wild card series win, extra innings, home run, uh, you know, for Gonzalez off of Corey Kluber. Um, and frankly, I felt like the Guardians probably would have won the ALDS if it weren't for Mother Nature. I think Mother Nature <laughs> and the Yankees collectively beat Cleveland, but that's neither here nor there. Now, as you have talked about a couple times, the expectation levels rise a little bit, right? They proved what they could do last year when most people counted them out in this division. And they've basically got everybody that that they needed coming back, and they add Josh Bell at first base. If this is a healthy team, there's no reason the Guardians can't be at least where they were a year ago. And today, even though pitchers and catchers had been in camp for uh, you know a, a week or so, today's the first official full squad workout. They actually play a game this weekend in in the Cactus League. <laughs> It, it's baseball time. Against the Reds. It. Yeah, I, I love it. Baseball's back, and uh, and we instantly have a Terry Francona story <laughs> that uh, is mid-season form. I mean, my God, this is the absolute best. So you can find this if you want on Zach Meisel's Twitter. Zach, uh, Zach obviously the, the terrific writer for the athletic cover in the team, and uh, he's out in Goodyear right now, and <laughs> this is from the you just can't make this up file. This is the the ultimate Terry Francona file. This is just this is just so Tito. So I assume everybody knows that Tito isn't a whole bunch for like the big rah-rah speech. Like that's not really his style ever. But he does do one, you know, before the season starts, gets up and you know, it's kind of like his annual address because it's like the only time he'll really give a talk to the team. The State of the Guardians address where <laughs> paint may or may not be peeling from the clubhouse walls by the time he's done with them. Yeah, it's uh you know, Tito, Tito's the best. All right, so Zach tweets, Terry Francona gave his annual team speech. He was so nervous he was drenched in sweat. He declined dinner with the coaches last night so that he could make edits to his speech. 
He made pasta, but it didn't fully cook. And when he bit into it, he broke his tooth. He arrived at camp at 3.30 a.m. and then spilled coffee all over his speech. (laughs) (laughs) Baseball's back, baby. Oh, my God. That is so Tito. I love it. We're probably going to win the World Series. I mean, let's just call it for one That's year. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> With an um, open like that, there's no other alternative. We're just going to ask the Browns to take three weeks off in October because we're going to be preoccupied. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I can't wait to watch this team this I year, can't man. believe he broke a tooth on pasta. How, do How does do that, that happen? How do you not boil noodles long enough to know uh, that they're done or not? Um, it's not that hard. Um, guilty. Gonna throw, I'm throwing Darryl. myself on that sword. <laughs> I'm the king of undercooking chicken and... Under boiling the pasta. Okay, but like it's just boiling water and you burning put the, pasta the toast until it's done. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, goodness gracious, I I am so excited because last year there was plenty of talk around. You know who's the Stephen Kwan guy? For well, mo- see now I'm worried if I don't know. boil my pasta properly. Now, now it, as someone who has put my dentist kids through college and then some, uh, might have even started a trust fund for them. Ooh. Now I'm worried as I age. <laughs> If I don't prepare my pasta correctly, I'm going to break teeth now. Don't uh, don't call Tito to uh, ask for help, apparently. Um, no, but look, I mean, Stephen Kwan last year, unless you're a diehard Guardians fan, maybe you didn't follow him during the farm system. Right. So he's just another one of these rookies that you kind of said, okay, well, let's see what they got in the outfield. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that this guy was a player, a legit, you know, major league player. And as the season went along, he had one little lull. And other than that, he was a stud, and if it weren't for Rodriguez out in Seattle, there's a pretty good chance he could have won the American League Rookie of the Year. Um, good, he didn't win, so he's going to come back this year angry <laughs> with that chip on his shoulder. Uh, exactly. Right? Isn't that the thing? Yeah, that's okay. what they say. Yep. Um, you know, I thought it was good that Miles Straw snapped out of whatever horrendous offensive stretch he had there in sort of the late summer, uh, and he started to figure it out a little bit. And now you kind of have this problem of, all right, what are we going to do with some of these outfield guys? Because there was this logjam out there. They've traded Will Benson. Um, they traded Nolan Jones. Oscar Gonzalez is pretty obviously got to be part of this thing with the way he yeah. came out of the scene. Uh, and, and some of these things sort themselves out along the way. But remember, last year, opening day, the left field starter was Ahmed Rosario. And he let a ball drop behind him. <laughs> It, and it was like, seriously, this is this is what we got on opening day in left field? Oh, boy. Might be a long year. And then Amid Rosario turns in a pretty darn good season. Yeah. Basically led the team offensively. Um, you know, Hosey turns in a borderline MVP caliber season. And we find out he played the entire second half of the season hurt. Unbelievable. And he still put up numbers. Yeah. Again, going back to what I said earlier. <laughs> Why? Never mind. Not going to get into it. <clears throat> Off they, the soapbox. They, they needed to upgrade at catcher. They needed yeah. to upgrade at first base because Naylor, Naylor clearly is a good major league player, but I think they they need to use him a little bit more in in a uh, little more situationally. Yeah, I, I, to me, the say. most intriguing thing about the Guardians coming into this upcoming season is how do they handle the success that they had last year, grow from said success, and evolve that into moving forward to where they advance in the postseason, and eventually, I'm not saying this year, but in the next couple of years with this core that's going to be together, find themselves with the ability to compete and getting back to the World Series and maybe, I don't know, gasp, potentially winning the thing, which would be nice. Uh, but 
that's the thing that intrigues me because last year they came out of nowhere. And we see this all the time, right? You know, the Cavaliers last year came out of nowhere. Got got to the, the, the play-in, but they couldn't get to the playoffs, right? This year they started getting guys' best shot. Well, they're doing pretty well this year. They're, they're, they're responding pretty well. Um, the Browns in 2020 came out of nowhere, won 11 games. Well, they come back the following year and it's an egg. They come back the following year after that, it's another egg, right? So how, and I think that Terry Francona is the master magician, all the the fun we can have is sure. uh, you know at his expense it's because he's, he's that good. He yeah he's he takes the game seriously. It's his passion. It's his love. But he doesn't take himself over you know overly seriously. And I think that resonates a little bit in the locker room, within the clubhouse as well. Uh, but he just seems to be the master magician when it comes to pushing guys' buttons. He's managed this team for ten years. They've had one losing season. Yeah. And really, the, the losing season they had it was it was a transition year. Really, should, you could call it a rebuild year. Had some health issues himself that he had to to deal with, so he couldn't be around the ball club the way he ultimately wanted and felt that he needed to be. Uh, but for them to be in the situation, and they get the most flack of any of the three teams in town when it comes to fan criticism because they don't spend enough money. Yeah, but they don't. They but they're the most. Ex- they're, they're the most well-run they, franchise. They in town. are consistent year in and year out. They're competitive. Um, so I am curious this year to see how these young guys. You know, can Stephen Kwan? You know, you talk about the sophomore slump in sports. You know, can he overcome that this year and put together an equal or better year than he had as a rookie? Can this rotation? Can the bullpen hold up the way that we have seen it? Hold up, even with injuries and the COVID stuff that they went through, can that sustain and hold up? Uh, so those are the unanswered questions for me. Bell, great addition at first base, fantastic, right? That's a hole they needed to fill. They filled it. The outfield, you mentioned some of the logjam there, but this stuff sorts itself out. I always say this during training camp. Anytime there's these positional competitions with the brand. This stuff's going to sort itself out. Yeah, it will. What, you know, whether it's attrition, injury, performance, what, it's just it's going to work itself out. So there's 58 guys in camp, and uh, obviously they can't have 58 on the roster, so we'll, we'll figure out who goes where. I think there's a pretty good chance, my personal opinion, being around the team um, a, a good bit. I think Bo Naylor's going to start the year in AAA. I don't think he's going to start the year here in Cleveland, but I don't think it would be long before he'd get here. Um, with Zanino in town, I think there's a pretty good chance Bo Naylor starts in, in AAA. By the way, the news yesterday was not great. When you have two of your top prospects and, and having so that's, to go through the That's what I was going to get to. The the only quote-unquote downside here, um, you know, pretty arguably the top pitching prospect in the organization, Daniel Espino, shut down for at least eight weeks with a, uh, a strain, maybe a tear in his shoulder. Uh, and last year's first-round pick, Chase DeLauder, is going to miss four or five months with a fracture in his foot, which is actually the same injury that he had last year. Um, those are obviously disappointing, but I don't know that, certainly not with Chase, I, I think Daniel is good enough to pitch in the major leagues this year, but I'm not sure that there's like a sound the alarm bells emergency, we got to rush this guy through the system either, because I think the Guardians proved they had more pitching depth than maybe you know everybody else kind of expected. So if we can see this team get through camp pretty healthy, I don't see any reason why they can't hit the ground running and and get off to a good start here in April. I think they win the division. I know they haven't played a spring training game yet. I know it's the first day of workout. I think they win the division again. 
Yeah, I do. No, I don't have high I, expectations for the White Sox, and I think the Twins are going to be okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that they run away with it the way they did last year, right? But I think they win the division again. And 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 here's here's the great thing about the position that they are in organizationally is their farm system right now is so deep and rich in talent. Yeah, obviously you don't take that for granted, but that gives them the flexibility that you get into July where you have a pretty good beat on what type of ball club you have, right? And you then can make some decisions about whether you need to rent a, you feel like you're in a position where renting a player, you can go all in or, you know, get someone becomes available. You think can kind of push you over the top there or whatever. It just, it gives the front office a a tremendous amount of flexibility because I have always subscribed to the theory that prospects are prospects. Sure. And yes, they're vital to every organization. Not discounting that one iota, but prospects are prospects. And when I'm trying to win at the major league level, if I can use a prospect or two or three or four to get me a guy that can help me do that, that that's why drafting and developing is so important. And what are the Cleveland Guardians really good at doing? All drafting of a sudden, and drafting and developing. No doubt. We got more Guardians talk coming up at 640. I will say one more thing to wrap this up, though. It's not going to catch a lot of headlines. I think one guy the Guardians are really going to miss this year that most people don't really know his name is Brian Sweeney. He was a bullpen coach. He was incredibly instrumental in advanced scouting and working with this uh, working with this pitching staff the last couple of years, and he is now the pitching coach for the Kansas City Royals. Um, I trust the Guardians to backfill and do the job well, but Brian was excellent, and most people don't know his name because he's not right at the front of the coaching staff I think they will miss him. Stephen Holder from uh, ESPN joins us. Of course, he covers the NFL. And uh, Stephen joins us, as all guests do, on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Stephen, how are you? Doing great. How about you guys? Great. Thanks for joining us. I think, first and foremost, the uh, the news of the day in Cleveland, obviously, is that Mike Prefer is out as a special teams coordinator. And uh, your reporting says that uh, former Brown and and uh, Colts head coach, or head coach, Colts assistant coach Bubba Ventrone is obviously on the uh, on the list of uh, guys that the Browns really want to talk to. What more can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, I, I was told earlier today that that this was uh, very likely to happen that he'd be actually departing for Cleveland. That might have been a little premature, and I didn't report that, but it, it did. It did. Uh, there was indication that, that there was a lot of interest, and it makes sense. He he is definitely, um, I think, uh, and from what people around the NFL seem to think, you know, one of the uh, better and more uh, elite special teams coordinators in the league. So I think he's done a great job in Indianapolis, and uh, he would be someone that I think any team would want to talk to if he was available. So uh, something to watch for sure. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I remember him with uh, when he was here in Cleveland playing for Eric Mangini. He was uh, a special teams uh, standout. Let me ask you this. What do you think the timeline is uh, for the Browns here uh, when they fired Joe Woods and they brought in Jim Schwartz? They got that done all done in eight days, the firing to the interviews and the hiring in eight days. What do you think the timeline is here for Stef- uh, Stefanski and the Browns to uh, get this filled and done? I mean, perhaps quicker because we're already a week out from the combine at this point. I mean, just the just the calendar itself, I think, kind of necessitates that you get this going. Uh, your special teams coach should at least pl- play a pretty big role in your draft process. And I know that Bubba Ventrone has done that here in Indianapolis. Uh, his eye 
for for talent in terms of of looking for guys who they can uh, put on special teams and particularly rookies and and guys early in their career put on special teams and excel at, a, at an early stage of their career. Uh, he played a big role in that, and they leaned pretty heavily on on him for those reasons. And and if your special teams coach is worth his salt, uh, that should be happening for your team. So the point is, now that we are you know pretty well into the draft season here. Uh, the, the special teams coordinator takes on a pretty big role in that. Stephen Holder, ESPN, uh, joining us. Um, l- let me ask you this. Bubba's rise, like uh, y- you've gotten to to watch him. What has made him such an effective uh, coordinator this young in his career? Yeah, it, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, uh, particularly when it comes to special teams, like he – he understands it. He gets it, right? I mean, he, it's the reason he spent as long as he did in the NFL. I mean, he had a much longer career than he ever should have had. And it's because he embraced special teams, understood special teams, and understood the mentality of special teams. And that is not something that, that every player is able to do in the NFL, particularly guys who in college were star players or starters at least. They never, some of them never get to that point, right? Bubba understood it and embraced it. The other thing I'd say is that you know, he, he certainly got uh, – he took a lot of uh, a lot from different places, put it that way, right? His time in Cleveland, his time with Belichick, uh, his time in Indianapolis. And I think he has really absorbed uh, some, some good techniques and, and been around some good coaches and just, just the, the diversity of knowledge in general. And then the other thing is just his ability to – and this is a, sort of an intangible thing, but his ability to be really demanding of his players – but at the same time, also kind of prop them up and and build them up. I remember uh, Zaire Franklin, who was one of the Colts, who was the Colts' leading tackler this year, one of the leading tacklers in the NFL. He came in as a seventh round pick, and he wanted to get on special teams. And you know, Bubba told him, "No, you're not ready. I can't put you out there." And but he, he gave him a, a blueprint on how to do it. And to Zaire Franklin's credit, he embraced that and became their special teams captain within two years. And that's a great example of what I'm talking about. Well, the Browns certainly could use a guy as a special teams coordinator who possesses those kind of traits for sure. Hey, I want to ask you a little bit about what's going on with the Colts here too. Obviously, it was kind of a bizarre season with Jeff Saturday coming in and, and now Shane Steichen taking over as a head coach. I spoke with someone in the Eagles organization and just asked him about Shane. And he said he's smart, he can connect, he's creative, intense, passionate, great to work with, and he's excellent at developing talent. It sure sounds like the kind of coach that you need uh, right now in Indianapolis. What are, uh, you know, what are the thoughts right now around that organization with, with Shane coming on board? Yeah, a lot of the same thoughts that you just reflected. Uh, I had someone describe him as having a little bit of evil genius in him, which was a compliment. <laughs> you know? And I think it, it almost sounded, from the description, almost like a Mike McDaniel type of approach, right? Uh, I think they're different guys, but but just in terms of how they see the game. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, the the interesting thing here, and I think this is a good thing for the Colts as they look for their next quarterback, is that he's he's shown a lot of diversity in in how he has uh, deployed his his offensive scheme. Right, going back to Philip Rivers, where I think they were still maybe in San Diego at the time, and he had a year with him as a coordinator. Then Justin Herbert. And then going to Philly and doing it with Jalen Hurts in a completely different fashion, right? A, a really run-heavy, play-action passing, 
uh, quarterback run centric type of offense. And so very, very, very different approaches. And, and, and the Colts, at least they believe that his ability to adapt is going to be a key for them. And as opposed to having a scheme that's very specific and, and one where you have to get a particular type of quarterback, they think this allows them to have the freedom to pick whichever quarterback they see as the best available and I really do think that is a big key here because so many times we see coaches not have that, that willingness to be as flexible. I think Shane Steichen has, has demonstrated that already. Look, we, uh, we're in the heart of Buckeye country here, and uh, I think there were a lot of people that weren't necessarily sold on C.J. Stroud because he lost to Michigan twice. Yes, he had good performances against Notre Dame and in the Rose Bowl, but – uh, it wasn't until he did what he did against the Georgia Bulldogs, who everybody expects was going to be the best defense he would play all year. It wasn't until CJ made that performance that people really started to buy in. I think he really helped his draft stock. But I haven't heard a ton of talk about CJ to the Colts with any real legs behind it. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's true. And that I haven't heard a lot of that either. But I, I also don't dismiss the idea of him landing here. I, I mean, first of all, I mean, he, he looks the part, right? I mean, I think if you talk about a guy who has, who is maybe the, the most complete of, of, the, of the elite prospects at quarterback in this draft, CJ is probably the most complete. I'm not saying he's going to be the best because I have no way of knowing that. And, and, and who knows what, what happens, right? These guys, it all depends on where they land, et cetera. But if you're looking for the guy who checks the most boxes, it's probably CJ Stroud. And the reason I say that over Bryce Young is not because I don't like Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is a fantastic player. Probably, you could make the argument, more talented, at least has had more consistency than C.J. Stroud for sure. The problem is that Bryce Young is battling this, the doubts about his size, which are very, very real. So once you take that out of the equation, I mean, C.J. Stroud doesn't have that to worry about, and he has had a lot of success uh, at, at the highest level. Now, he has, he has shown all the attributes he won. He's shown the accuracy. He's shown the ability to read defense. He's shown all the things that you're looking for, the things that those quarterbacks tend to struggle with. I mean, again, I think he's the most complete guy today. Doesn't mean, and I mean just free of questions, I guess is what I'm saying. He's, he has the fewest questions. Let's put it that way. Put well, it that way. For what it's worth, I was in the building basically three, four days a week in Columbus uh, all fall, and Jim Knowles, regularly said that C.J. Stroud was the best quarterback that he had ever had a chance to work with on the same team, and that included Eli Manning when they were down uh, down in, during Eli's college days. So the, the, the ability to process a defense, C.J. Stroud has apparently you know, passed that with flying colors, and, and you heard that from most of the coordinators. Wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if he becomes one of the top picks in the draft. You know, one, one quick thought I had as you were laying that out is, you know who no one was talking about the year he was drafted? It was Justin Herbert. You're right. I say no one. Obviously, people were talking sure. about him. But I remember being at the Senior Bowl that year and just kind of saying, eh, nice player. We'll see. You know, because <laughs> no, no one was making a big deal about him. And I guess I just didn't see it. And so, uh, because, you know, I'm no, I'm no uh, draft analyst. And, and sure enough, right, I think that worked out. So, it's it could be the same here, and that's why this is such a hard thing. But but when you 
when you look back at the, the lesson there with Justin Herbert is he did do everything. He was a guy who, who had the, the whole package. He just maybe wasn't flashy, hadn't won the big game, et cetera. And, and so it, it just wasn't as obvious maybe. But when you look back, look back at it in hindsight, maybe we should have seen that. You know, Maybe th- that applies here too. Well, getting the quarterback is like the hardest piece of the puzzle, right? I mean, yeah. we, we know that here in Cleveland. Um, how aggressive do you expect the, the Colts to, to be here? Are they willing to go get a guy? Or are they looking for someone to fall to them? Like, where do you think Jim Ursay is in the whole answering that quarterback conundrum that the Colts now have? Well, so Jim Ursay had either, uh, I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue or just really eager to tell us, but he had that. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Who knows? He definitely made some news last week. When Liquid he courage. About, yeah, he started talking about trading up, and he said, you know, that Alabama kid looks pretty good. Uh, of course, I agree. But anyhow, I, and as soon as he said it, Chris Ballard, their GM, said, wait, well, wait a minute, we could trade down too, you know. And in the middle of the press conference, which was hilarious. Uh, that would have now, been a fun conversation to eavesdrop on immediately after the press conference. Oh, man. Let's just say I got a few text messages from the building after that. Like, <laughs> can you, you believe this? And so, anyhow, here's the thing. Uh, they, it's it's going to be interesting because I think you have Jim Ursay, who is, I think, seeing an opportunity here to solve all their problems. Whether that actually happens, I don't know. But, but it's an opportunity, right? This problem has been going on for four years now. And then you have Chris Ballard, their GM, who is, who is historically very conservative and has a long history of trading down in the draft. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can get on the same page. And, and it also is going to boil down to the evaluation at the end of the day. You know, it's, it's not about getting the quarterback. It's like, is this the right guy? And, and is this the guy to go all in on, whoever it is? And we'll have to see. I don't know if they're there yet, but I, I'll tell you what, they have been through a lot at that position, and this is an opportunity they haven't had. I think they need to absolutely maximize it. They cannot screw this up. Listen, you said four years. When you guys get to double digits and get into the twenties, <laughs> yeah. then you then you can start. Then I'll send some tissue your way because re- that's what it's been here. <laughs> I got to read the room a little better. I <laughs> and and it cost the Browns six draft picks and two hundred and thirty million dollars to get the guy they that's think all. can. You know, so that's all. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I get it. Listen, I grew up a Dolphins fan, growing up in South Florida, and you know, Tua's great. But I mean, just think about it. You know, Dan Marino retired like twenty two years ago, man. And you know, so I, I can relate. I get it. Hey, look, the Colts went from uh, Peyton to Luck, right? Yeah. Uh, just like the Packers went Favre to yeah. Rodgers. Y'all should just be counting your blessings. They were due there. for some some tough days, okay? Let me tell you. I, I mean, they, I, I realize they might hang the drafted a quarterback in the first round of the 2023 draft <laughs> banner in the rafters at Lucas Oil, but come on. Right. Hey, let's, Listen, I tell Colts fans all the time, I mean, you got to remember, this was not a football town until Peyton Manning became a thing. And I tell Colts fans all the time, you know, this is how the other half lives. Like, this is normal. Unfortunately, well, you know, it, it's normal for a lot of fans, at least, you know, sure. so it's not something they've been able to cope with very well. They're not listening to me, but I try to tell them. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on a Browns note here. Daryl and I were talking about this a bit earlier. I'm curious for someone who's you know totally outside the market. What does a successful Browns season look like to you in 2023? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I pay attention to the Browns, you know, because I, 
I, I like I have known Andrew Barry for, for quite a few years and have always kind of pulled for him. Good guy. I think he I think he is smart. Uh, he's had some tough days there, right? I think the trajectory just has to change. You know, I, I don't think anyone's expecting, you know, go win a bunch of playoff games. I, I don't think that's where the bar is. Maybe it is for ownership. I don't know. We'll see. But, but I think, I just think for, for reasonable people, it, the trajectory just has to clearly change. And, and that's something that we thought we were seeing a couple of years ago. Right. You know, and then last season happened. It was what it was, but that's got to be the case. I, I think that's a start. Just get this thing turned in the right direction. They got talent. They, they've got answer some questions this year. If they can at least get on the right track, then I think they get some momentum and it gets going. But but that's where it starts for me. I don't I don't you know compete for the division all that. But I mean just get on the right side of the ledger and let's see that the the, the pendulum's going in the right direction. Steven uses the words reasonable when he talks about Browns fans have also reasonable expectations. Yes, coming coming from the same guy that said that the Browns needed to be in the AFC Championship uh, game next season. Now I'm not letting him off the hook there, Stephen. Oh my God, right. Stephen Holder from ESPN. There are no reasonable expectations. That's that's the best part about being an NFL fan for sure. Stephen, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate your insight and your time here this afternoon. All right, you got it. Take care, guys. Sounds like the Browns are awfully interested in Mr. Ventrone. As they should be. Yeah, I thought that was a, a, some good uh, good insight there. Yeah, he's, he's uh, you know, Indianapolis has one of the better special teams units in the National Football League. They're very productive in the return game. They're fundamentally sound. And um, the, the, these are things that the Browns are not. <laughs> the Colts special teams unit are the antithesis of what the the Brown special team uh, unit uh, has been uh, in recent years. So um, I think that if the Browns are able to ultimately hire Ventrone, I I think that that would be an upgrade and a very solid, strong, I would put it right up there with the hire of Jim Schwartz. Like I, I, in that, in that same level. Let's let him get hired first. I understand. (laughs) I'm just, I, I, I said, if what part of the, if did you not understand the I or the F? Uh, <laughs> eat. <laughs> uh, this yeah, look. is a little awkward. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I would like the hire. I want to. Your reputation precedes you. That stuff's yep. all good. You know, at the end of the day, the the Browns made some pretty sizable mistakes on special teams last year. They. Yeah, and it it wasn't just like it wasn't like they just couldn't kick field goals or just couldn't punt. It it was like all across the board. Yeah, you know, eight missed field goals, three blocked field goals, had some bad punts. Certainly didn't execute very well on kickoffs at times. Didn't cover well. Cover. Yeah, it was it was not good. So on one hand, you'd like to think, well, maybe anything would be better than what we had. But I don't I don't want to just rag on Prefer because I don't think that's fair. I just want the record to reflect that you're the one that said that, not me. Sure. I I think the Browns, most of the time when I watched special teams last year, I was like, oh, come on, what are we doing? Basically, you were saying a rosary every time the special teams unit took the field, praying that they didn't mess rosary, something up. Yeah, you, you, uh, you're not far off. It was it was more. I thought our special teams last year was or more it was of a, well. Let's see how they can make this interesting. It felt more like a liability than an asset last year. Correct. So hopefully they can get that uh, get that straightened out. 
216-578-0092 if you want to join the conversation on the Browns and Mike Prefer's exit in Cleveland, and uh, we'll see who his replacement could be. Uh, we've got the Pulse coming up at 4 o'clock, 5 at 5, of course, right at 5. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com will join us at 520. Jason Sobel from the Action Network and Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio at 6 o'clock. We'll talk with Doug about Ohio State football, basketball, and the Browns. We'll talk with Jason, of course, about Tiger Woods returning to the golf course for the first time since the Open Championship last summer and uh, get his thoughts on both how Tiger performed and what the outlook is as we near the, uh, the first major of the year coming up in less than two months' time. As it relates to the Browns, though, Daryl, beyond the special teams change, and, and obviously we're past the defensive coordinator change, are there any other major changes this offseason that were sort of on your post-2022 to-do list that you felt like, gosh, they, they've got to address this if they want to take a step forward? No, they went two for two. Those were the two they needed to really handle. Okay. Uh, one happened immediately, and the other one, like I said earlier, took about six weeks. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just solely based on performance, like it just felt like they had to do it. Like there's, you, you never want to do it, but you had to. Um, defensively, obviously, with Joe Woods, and then. You know, we just went through the special teams unit with Prefer. Those were the two things. Now, there's some attrition with the staff, you know, losing Drew Petzing uh, as an offensive coordinator to the the Cardinals. Uh, that's a, a bit of a loss, but that was expected. The, the, the Browns, that's not something that, you know, Kevin Stefanski was surprised with. Um, you know, Chris Kiffin leaving. He left last year and then came back. You know, I think he was gone for three weeks. So, oh, you, you kind of, okay. Jeff Howard in the secondary there, eh, okay. But nothing where I was like, oh, the, these are like seismic problems that Kevin Stefanski is going to have to deal with here. To me, the the seismic issues that he needed to address, he's addressed, and that was defensive coordinator, and now today, special teams. So how about now as you look forward to the NFL draft? Obviously, you've got the combine coming up next week. I am of the opinion the Browns need to address defensive line more than anything else, including receiver, but I certainly won't be mad if they take a receiver with their first pick. Where do you want to see them uh, as, you know, when they have their attention on the draft here? Defensive tackle. Okay. Number one priority has got to be defensive tackle. you got a couple of kids at defensive end. Uh, you you know Wright and Thomas see what you get there liked what I saw from both of them in season and quite frankly the Browns did too but I don't know if either one of those guys are ready to be every down players at defense you know starting caliber right now they might project down the road but unfortunately this regime right now I don't think that they can look through the lens of projecting down the road and that's kind of why I am of the mindset. I'm not really concerned about their eight draft picks. I don't need an eight-member draft class. Organizationally, they they they, they obviously I'm yeah, sure you, feel you a lot bodies. different uh, sure. a lot different than I do. I need dudes that can play now. Just put myself in Kevin Stefanski's shoes. If I'm looking at, I need dudes that can play now. I need a couple of defensive tackles, maybe a defensive end. I need a wide receiver to put behind Cooper and DPJ. 
Like, I need guys that can come in and have an immediate impact. And that's not to say that they can't. That can't be rookies because you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, they got some pretty good bang for their buck when it came to their rookie class this past well, season. And look at their wide receiver room, right? You you get rid of arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. You send him away. Right. And you still won the Super Bowl because you, you replaced him with several bodies at the fraction of a cost and got basically the same production out of it. it that's that's kind of how you always want to draw it up, right? You, you mm-hmm. get rid of a guy when he's... Um, you know, at his most expensive, if you think he's replaceable and you backfill with cheaper talent, that's a great way to run an organization. And if it doesn't work, you take a lot of heat for it, but it worked. They still won the Super Bowl. And the the good things where the Browns are the good thing where the Browns are concerned in that regard is that Amari Cooper hasn't lost a step. No. Now, he was banged up toward the end of the season, but even though he was still banged up, he was able to contribute and be Extremely productive, okay? So, um, yes, he costs a premium dollar, and I think that they're going to rework that $20 million this year uh, to make that a little more cap-friendly. But he's a player I want to hang on to because I, I really feel like uh, he and uh, Deshaun Watson can have something. And we saw glimpses of that down the stretch. Um, but they just they need more quality depth. See, there's a difference between having depth. Every team has depth. What every team does not have is quality depth. Sure. And I think that that's an area where the Browns, you know, they've gotten to a point where they've gone from having no starters to having quality starters and, and really good starters at a lot of positions, but now they got to build in the depth behind those guys. That's that's where they're at. Um but they need starters at defensive tackle. There's no question there. They need depth at wide receiver. They need quality depth at wide receiver. They need role players at that position that can produce at a moment's notice. And I don't think they they have that dependable player on the roster behind their top two guys. That's the That, to me, is the priority. They don't have to go out and get a number one wide receiver. No. They don't have to go get a top-tier player at the position because I, I think they already got that in Amari Cooper. What they need is a player that can be explosive when called upon, okay, which I don't think that they have. That's the difference. So um, I, I'm not all about these draft picks this year. I sure. really am not. I, g- use the second rounder fine. Use use your third round comp pick you got for, uh, for you know, Adolfi, uh, place of Memphis going to uh, Minnesota. Fine. No problem. Uh, but those day three picks – Flip them puppies into the future or flip those for guys that can help you now. I don't know if there's another Amari Cooper trade out there for Andrew Barry who probably should be in jail for the heist that he pulled off with the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> giving up a fifth-round pick for Coop. But I don't know if there's that like type of deal out there for Andrew Barry this offseason. Clearly, he's going to explore that. But like if Barry can pull another one of those off, my goodness, be in great shape. But yeah, I'm all about flipping those day three picks into the future or for guys that can come in and, and play now. We're going to turn our attention to the 4 o'clock hour here to the NBA, particularly the All-Star game. Wondering whether or not you think the All-Star game is worth watching anymore in the NBA after what we saw this past weekend. Plus, of course, Kevin Love's departure from Cleveland. Cavs are going to retire his jersey should they do that with Kyrie Irving? 